Hi, this is Larry Castle here with Ken Brown for episode 84 of That's a Good Question. Can I understand the Bible? Welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of That's a Good Question. Over the next couple of episodes, we want to discuss an issue that comes up pretty often when a Christian is trying to point out to a non-Christian, for example, the truth or some truth that's in the Bible, the truth of the Bible itself, or even when two or three Christians, a couple of Christians are discussing a disagreement they're having over a doctrinal issue. And in both of those scenarios, you will often hear somebody say, but that's just your interpretation. (laughs) Right. And it raises the question, is the Bible hopelessly obscure? Mm-hmm. You know, is it, is it difficult to understand so that um, it's teaching we can't really know? Right. Uh, and it's just kind of each of us arriving at what we think. That's what you think about mm-hmm. it. That's what I think it means. So the question we want to talk about today is, can we really understand the Bible? Can we know what its message is? And then we'll get into, if so, how do we do that? Yeah. Well, I've heard that many times over the years uh, as well. Uh, all of us who take the Word of God seriously, we discuss it with, with other people, and we've heard that kind of thing. Both Christians and non-Christians will say, but that's just your interpretation, mm-hmm. as if we have to resign ourselves to the conclusion that the Bible's message cannot be truly known. And you've got your interpretation, I've got my interpretation, and it's said in the same way that you would say something like, you've got your opinion, I've got, I've got my opinion. Many people believe that one's interpretation of the Bible is really nothing more than an opinion about, for example, uh, like who wins a debate, mm-hmm. you know, say a presidential debate. We both look at the same thing, and we each arrive at our own conclusion, and one is really no better than, than the other. Now, it's true that judging something like who won a a debate can have so many subjective factors that it does just amount to how it struck me and and how I took it. People say things like he or she looked presidential, (laughs) or they turned in a a commanding performance. But what looks presidential to you may not be the same for me, and who knows what constitutes a a so-called commanding performance. Mm -hmm. You could add other factors that people use, like was the candidate empathetic or were they likable, and everybody's going to have their own view of those. And if the Bible's like that, then yes, interpretation really is just Mm -hmm. a matter of opinion. It really is just your interpretation with emphasis on just meaning it's merely your interpretation or only or simply your interpretation. Mm-hmm. It has to have, it really has no more authority than just your subjective opinion. Yeah. So, so what makes the Bible different so that it's not like an opinion about mm-hmm. who won a debate then? You know, it's, that's the question we have to ask. What, what's different about the Bible that allows us to be confident that we can know what it means? Well, it's different than like the debate uh, illustration in that it's written communication. Mm-hmm. It's not spoken in person, so you don't have all of those more nebulous factors like, does the speaker look sincere, mm-hmm. or they didn't look me in the eye, so I thought they were a bit shifty, or that, that kind of thing. <laughs> I so, hope to, I'm not looking at the camera, and when, when I talk, I hope I don't come across shifty. <laughs> you are pretty shifty, but, <laughs> but I've got other reasons for him being shifty other than the way he's looking. But things like sincerity and empathy and authority, they can all certainly be communicated in writing, too. 
But that has to do with how the author has communicated, mm. not what it is they're saying. Yeah. In written communication, the focus is on what is being said before how it's being said. Yeah, it's a good distinction. So there are several sections of the Bible, though, mm. uh, that are really heavy on emotion. So, you know, you That's think true. of the Psalms, and yeah. many of those are just straight-up poetry or songs that Israel yeah. would sing. Yeah, very true. Yeah, true and a very good point. Uh, we'll see, in fact, later that interpreting the Bible requires we know what kind of book we're dealing with. And so those are certain kind of mm -hmm. books that you mentioned. The Bible has 66 of them. They're not all the same type. Many of the Psalms are, as you said, they're poems and songs. And so we approach them with that in mind. But still, they're written with historical settings by historical figures. And so we can place what they're writing about and who's writing it in context and understand what it is they're conveying, even in the emotive language used in that kind of a, a book. So if you have a competent author who's able to convey their message in writing, you can take the guesswork out of determining the meaning of what they, they've written. Mm -hmm. You can put it in context and get to what it is that they intended to convey. Yeah, it's true that, that bad writing can make it really difficult <laughs> to discern what the author means. So we need, as you said, a competent author. Mm -hmm. And so that's good news when it comes to the Bible, right? Because we have the most competent author mm -hmm. because the Bible is God's word. You know, it comes from him. And so you need a competent author. We've got one. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's the aspect of that where we these books were written by people like mm -hmm. Moses, David, Daniel, Matthew, Paul, and others. Mm -hmm. And so we have confidence that God's a competent author, mm -hmm. but how can we be sure about the other 40 humans who composed those yeah. 66 books you're referring to? Well, we call the Bible God's Word, mm -hmm. but in fact, as you say, it was composed by 40 different human authors. So in what sense is it God's Word, and how does, it in, does He ensure that they communicate what He wants? The Bible teaches that both God and the human author were involved in producing each of the books of the Bible. Mm -hmm. God oversaw the production of Scripture so that what they wrote was what He wanted. He didn't dictate it word for word. They used their own words, their own personalities, their own backgrounds. You can see that if you compare the language of John to the language of Paul, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, they use different words and uh, different concepts to convey. So they were very organically involved in the process. But the result was precisely what the Lord wanted written. The Bible says in the most well-known passage in the Bible about the Bible, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed. And then you've got another passage in 2 Peter chapter 1 that says, Scripture never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So one theologian has helpfully defined the process of God overseeing. God oversaw, I said. He, mm -hmm. So that process of God overseeing what the human authors wrote to produce what he wanted has been described this way. God superintended the human authors of the Bible, so that they composed and recorded without error his message to mankind in the words of their original writings. Mm. So that that's um, very interesting to me, just to hear the way you describe that. You know, you've got Paul's statement to Timothy and then Peter's statement. 
And in reading those to understand how we got the Bible, mm. you're doing exactly what we're talking about. Mm. You're looking at it. Yeah. It's plain meaning right there. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's telling us. So God superintended these men writing that down so we'd know how to understand yeah, it. Yeah, that's yeah, great. Yes. So you have two authors to every book of the Bible, God and the human author. And I can hear somebody asking, so which author's meaning do mm. I want? Mm. Do I want the God's meaning or the human author's meaning? Mm. So it seems you'd want God's meaning, mm. but how do you arrive at that while you have the human author to deal with? Well, that really gets to the the core issue of interpreting the Bible. If you make a distinction, as unfortunately many people do, between God's meaning and the human mm -hmm. author's meaning, now you get into all kinds of ways of interpreting yeah. that God never intended. As we said earlier, if you have a competent author who conveys his or her meaning clearly, then you can put it in context and determine what they intended to convey. And with God, you have the most competent author, but what about that human author mm. that, that composed it? Obviously, they could, all things being equal, they could error if God is not involved in the process. So does God have one meaning, that meaning that he intended to convey, but the human author might have somehow messed it up or they have their, their own agenda? Uh, is it possible that you have the surface meaning, perhaps, from the human mm -hmm. author, but then there's this deeper meaning from mm -hmm. God that you mm -hmm. somehow have to get to? And since messages from God are not the norm, then maybe you need some rules outside the norm. You need a different understanding mm -hmm. in order to get to, to God's message. Thankfully, none of that's the case, but everything I just described there are things that people have adopted. Yeah, you're making me nervous for a second there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. I knew where you were going with that, but yeah, that's... People do. They, they distinguish between the human author and God. So now i got to get to God somehow mm -hmm. and somehow get around, not through, right. but get around right. the human author. And there's this deeper meaning I have to get to. But thankfully, yeah. none of that's really the case. In contrast to what God already told us about. Exactly. It, like exactly. Yeah. God worked in the lives of the human authors mm -hmm. so that what they wrote is his message mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. us, written in human language, using human grammar. And here's the important thing now for can I understand it? It's using human language and human grammar, and so can be interpreted by using human rules of mm -hmm. normal human communication. Mm -hmm. So you don't need esoteric kinds of ways of arriving at God's message. Things like numerology, these mm -hmm. are things that people have done. They've tried to find arrangements and coincidences of numbers mm -hmm. to say God's got some hidden meaning in that, and people are fascinated by that, or spiritualizing a passage mm -hmm. uh, so that you take what it says, but then there's some higher spiritual meaning to what it to what Paul said or what Peter said beyond what it is in the, in the context. Or you're allegorizing it. It represents something mm -hmm. else. The goal of interpretation is to understand the author's intended meaning. Now, this is important. So when you know the author's, the human author's meaning, you know God's. Mm. They're one and the same. Yeah. So if you do never make that distinction. Do I want God's meaning or do I want the human author's? If you get one, you get the other, and you get God's meaning through the human author. He used the human author, that human language, human personality, human rules of interpretation. So the rules of interpreting the Bible are exactly the same as they are for interpreting any communication. Yeah, so you're saying that, for example, while you and I are communicating to each other right now, and as our viewers are watching and listening, all of us are engaged in the oh, same right. kind of interpretation, mm -hmm. 
that you do when you interpret the Bible, that's right? Exactly, yeah, that's right. right? It ta- you know, so it takes a lot of the guesswork we do, out we of it. We all do it every day. We do. Yeah. So when I listen to you and you listen to me, we're interpreting each other's words. We're engaging, in fact, right now in a process of interpretation, but it doesn't seem like much of a process right. because we do it so quickly, almost automatically. I can interpret your meaning. You can interpret mine. The audience can interpret what we're saying very easily because we have these two things going for us. We do and the audience has. We all have this. We have the fact that the message we're conveying right now is contemporary and it's local. Mm -hmm. Let me just explain what I mean by both those, contemporary and local. Contemporary meaning we all live at the same time. And local means we live in the same place. Mm -hmm. So if I mention what's going on in Ukraine, Mm -hmm. then everyone knows what I'm talking about. Because we live here and now. No research necessary. Exactly. Well, not much. If not much. The news, exactly. Yeah. Because we live here and now, and we know what's been happening in Ukraine the last, the last few weeks. Now, if someone watches this 10 years from now, they might have to do some work mm-hmm. to determine what's going on in Ukraine because they're not contemporary to that event. And if I say something like how the U- about how the Ukraine matter is handled may help determine who's going to be in power in D.C., in the next election, again, we all know what D.C. is. You found a way to smuggle politics in this episode. <laughs> <I'm just joking. laughs> this is as close as I'll get. <laughs> but yeah, we no, all know what D.C. Sense. is. Yeah. It's the capital of our nation. Mm-hmm. But somebody who's not local wouldn't readily know that. Mm-hmm. Now, apply that to an old book like the Bible. Mm-hmm. Since we're neither contemporary nor local, then we have to intentionally and consciously do what we automatically and instinctively do all the time. We have to place what we're reading in context. And we can do that if we apply the same rules we're using in this conversation to our approach to the Bible. So these are not rules that you just make up. They are rules that are absolutely necessary to have communication at all. Next week, we're going to look at why these rules are inherent in the very nature of communication. But for now, I'd just like to spend... uh, really the rest of our time going through three important rules for all communication. That sounds good. So so dealing with, can I understand the Bible this week and getting into a little bit about how that, and we'll finish next week how. Yeah. Um, so, so that sounds good. Before you give those, let's recap for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you're saying that the objective of all interpretation is to understand the speaker or the writer's intended mm-hmm. message. Mm-hmm. So we're not looking at what I, what can I get out of this? It's mm-hmm. what did they mean by this? Yes. Um, so that's true with our discussion right now that we're having or anything that you're going to read later today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to get to that intended meaning, you have to put the message into its context. Mm-hmm. And we're able to do that in this conversation without even thinking about it right. because, uh, you know, we're contemporary, as you said, mm-hmm. and local. We live in the same environment. But... Because the Bible's ancient, it's not written here, and it was written long ago in a different place, mm-hmm. we have to intentionally think about those rules and how to apply them. That's exact, dead on. Yeah, that's exactly it. So there are, in fact, rules of communication we are using now that we use all the time. We just don't know it mm-hmm. because we don't have to think about it. But these rules are necessary for communication to take place at all. It means the Bible is not, then, to get back to the question at the beginning, hopelessly obscure. Mm-hmm. The meaning can't be, be known, and that interpreting it, in fact, is not just a matter of opinion. It's not just your interpretation or my interpretation. All right. So then 
our viewers, our listeners might be wondering <laughs> before we get into those rules, mm. why so many interpretations? Then? Yeah, well, it is because uh, that we don't all play by the same rules. Mm. You know, people think that they need to use different rules for the Bible than for other communication. Special books, special because, rules. There yeah. you go. There you go. Because they think they need some spiritual way to get to God's meaning rather than just the human authors. Mm-hmm. But once you realize that God gave us the Bible in human form and language, by his design, Mm -hmm. and therefore we use human interpretation rules to get to its meaning, then you don't have so many diverse interpretations. The reason we have so many is because we don't play by the same rules. All right, so let's talk about those rules that apply to, as we said, all communication then. So the first one is this, that all communication has, we're, we're trying to place it in context, and these will be three rules of context. The first one is historical context. Mm-hmm. All communication has mm. historical context. Every book of the Bible and every communication, but you don't have to think about the historical context because we're at the same time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But in the Bible, you do. And every book of the Bible was written at a particular time and place and for a particular purpose. And these are, there are... Uh, factors that make up what we know as historical context. And so, as you look at a book of the Bible, you want to interpret every passage in light of its its purpose. Uh, every author, competent author, seeks to accomplish a purpose with their speaking or their, in this case, writing. Mm-hmm. And their selection of those to whom they're going to write, the theme of the writing, the tone that they use, all of that are related to the purpose. So in order to understand a passage's message, the author's intended meaning, it's helpful to determine the author's purpose for writing it. In the Bible, it might be out and out stated. You know, you have books of the Bible that just state, this is why it was written. First John chapter 5 and verse 13 just mm-hmm. tells you that I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that, here's why, mm-hmm. that you may know that you have eternal life. So right there in the book, it tells you in chapter 5, and there are only five chapters in First John, that these four and a half chapters that preceded were for this purpose. Mm-hmm. That's why I wrote it. So it might just be explicitly stated. Sometimes it's just implied. You uh, take you know, Paul writing to Timothy. Mm-hmm. He writes two letters to Timothy, and he doesn't in Second Timothy explicitly say, here's why I'm writing. But if you read 2 Timothy, you, you see that he's passing the baton of leadership on. Mm-hmm. You get to the final chapter, and that's where Paul says, the time of my departure is at hand. So he's preparing Timothy for leadership. And if we know something about, and thankfully in Scripture we do, the relationship between Paul and Timothy, that Timothy came to the Lord through mm-hmm. the ministry of mm-hmm. Paul, we, we find in the book of Acts. So now they've got this mentor-mentee relationship, and you see the purpose. Paul's at the end, and he's passing the baton onto. It doesn't say that directly, mm-hmm. but it's implied in just reading the book and what we know about the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Yeah. So in, interpret it to put it in its historical context in light of its purpose, but also in light of its chronology. When was it written? God didn't produce the Bible all at once. Those 66 books were written at different times. So you want to know something about the time in which this book was, was written. A lot of times that can be determined by statements that are made in the book regarding events or people about which dates are, are known. Here's an example. you got 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 1 actually turns out to be a key passage for telling us that the Exodus, remember Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt, the Exodus, that that happened in the mid-15th century B.C., but 
it just it talks about it in terms of the reign of Solomon and when the reign of Solomon happened. And then it says this was 480 years after the Exodus. Well, if you know something about when the reign of Solomon started, and thankfully we do, mm-hmm. 970 BC, uh, and it says actually in First Corinthians, or excuse me, First Kings six one, that in the fourth year of Solomon's reign, <laughs> which nice. was four hundred and eighty years after, so the fourth year would be nine sixty six BC. A helpful cue. <laughs> I know. And then you do the add the four eighty to it, you get back to fourteen forty six mm. BC, and that's how you know when the Exodus was. But otherwise, a good study Bible or a commentary, you know, will will tell you when the, mm. a particular book was written, and also interpret every biblical text in light of its. Geography, as you're setting in its historical context. You know, we live thousands of miles away from the countries where Bible events occurred. Believers should, if we want to know our Bible, become familiar as we can with the relationships between these ancient sites and the the boundaries around them. Um, In addition, it's valuable to learn the terrain of, of Bible lands. I mean, here's another example. A lot of times you will find Jerusalem mentioned, and even if people are north of Jerusalem, it'll say they're going up to. Mm. You know, here we are in Michigan, and we've got this phrase that I learned is peculiar to people, but we use it all the time, mm. going up north. Oh, yeah. Right? And yep. just up north, we're, we're in southern Michigan, southeast Michigan. So we like to go up north in the summer, you know, for our church's family camp, and people take vacations up there. It's beautiful, by the way, in northern Michigan in the summer. Sure um, but in biblical times, people would already be north mm-hmm. of Jerusalem, at times, and yet they're still going up to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. But that's because Jerusalem is elevated. Yeah. So you're always going up to Jerusalem. It makes sense when you think about it, because they're not getting their compass out, and they're walking or something yeah. like that and going up. Yeah, It's very noticeable. Good, good, good point. And then now, <laughs> go back to the Psalms. You know, Psalms, there's a whole section of Psalms that are called the Psalms of Ascent. Ascent. So you're ascending. Mm-hmm. Why are you ascending? Because you're going to the holy city, and it's it's elevated. My my, I lift up my eyes to the hills, from where my help comes. Mm-hmm. My help is from the Lord, Psalm one twenty one. Mm-hmm. That's one of those, and they're singing. I thought that, that was from uh, uh, <laughs> what is what's the movie? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Sound of Music. Oh, I yeah? thought that's from Sound of Music. Is that, is that it's a famous, yeah. It's quoted a famous line in it the Sound is? of Music. Yeah. Okay. All it's right. totally ripped out of its context. That's, that's, but... that's great to know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, then, as you continue to try to put the passage in its historical context, in addition to you know geography and purpose and time, there's there's culture. Modern day thought and behavior are different from that of Bible times, and there are cultural differences even between groups of people that are mentioned in Scripture. Roman culture in Paul's day is different than the Hebrew culture of Moses's day. So it's important to understand the culture. I mean, one one uh, case where this shows up is when Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 talks about head coverings for women. You know, well, something about then, knowing something about the culture will help you interpret that. Mm -hmm. So here's, you get a rule out of that. Placing a passage in its historical context yields this very simple, common sense, very important rule of interpretation. A text cannot mean what it never meant. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to get to the author's intended meaning, you want to know what it meant, past tense. That means history, historical context. And then you want to put it in its literary context. That's the second thing. Uh, interpretation is influenced by literary factors. Different literary types, different literature has to be interpreted differently. So we say something like, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Mm-hmm. That's a modern proverb. 
But a proverb is not, by its nature, a, a blanket guarantee, but it's a general truth. It's saying if you f- eat healthy, then you're going to, all things being equal, you're going to be healthier. Mm-hmm. keeps the doctor away. The Bible uses literary types and devices like that, but they have to be taken into account that they are that in order to be interpreted properly. So look at the form of the particular book. It's got different kinds of literature. You mentioned poetry mm-hmm. in, the, in the Psalms and songs. It's narrative portions of the Bible. Proverbs, we got a whole book called Proverbs that mm-hmm. has these general truths in them. If you don't see them as general truths, if you understand them to be legal guarantees, you can really mess up the interpretation. You know, Proverbs mm-hmm. 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That a legal guarantee that parent, if you do it right, that always mm-hmm. turns out right? It's not intended to be that. A proverb is a general truth, not a legal guarantee. You've got parables in the Bible. You've got letters. All of them are different. Mm-hmm. And so you, you understand then uh, the way it's written and how that kind of literature communicates as part of your interpretive process. So here's an example. Narrative, which much of our Bible is. Narrative is describing what happened. Mm-hmm. It's narrating. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily prescribing what you're to do. We're going through the book of Acts on Sunday mornings right now. Mm-hmm. Acts is narrative. So we read about the Acts of the Apostles. That's the full name of the book. And we see that in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John went to the temple and they healed a man who was um, a lame from birth. Is it telling us to do that? Mm-hmm. Well, one, we're not in Jerusalem. The guy was at the temple. We don't even have the temple anymore. It was Peter and John. It's narrating. It's mm-hmm. describing what they, what they did. On the other hand, Paul, in the letters, Paul is prescribing what people should do. Mm-hmm. You know, Romans chapter 12 and, and verse 1, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That's something that's timeless for all Christians. So you interpret in what kind of book it is. You know, is it a letter? Is it a narrative? Is it a parable? Is it a proverb? But then there are literary devices, figures of speech that are used in the Bible. You know, we might say something like, you know, if I, if I bite into pizza and, you know, the, the sauce comes out from underneath the cheese and it's burning <laughs> hot, right? And you say, my, my mouth is on fire. Mm. Well, you know, where that's a figure of speech, right? Jesus says in John 10, 7, I am the gate. Mm. And that's, again, a, a figure of speech. So when we talk about literal interpretation, literal interpretation, it's maybe better to say normal interpretation. Normal, right? That's a word I found helpful. Because yeah. it takes into account, you know, uh, uh, literary devices like that, mm-hmm. figures of speech. So it yields another rule, second rule. All texts are not alike. Mm. So if you go to the 66 books and you treat them all exactly the same, they're not the same. And this is the last one then. You I just sh- say this, just to be clear, those of you who want to call down fire on people <laughs> from other religions, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, you're reading in Kings and you see Elijah do this, yes. it's narrative. Yes. It's descriptive, not yes. prescriptive. Yes, exactly. So, that, no, it's, you know, we're joking a bit about it, mm-hmm. but people get off on those kinds yeah. of things. That's an ex- I've never heard anybody try to do that. But you do hear people make the same kind of an application, misapplication. And they want, or they want you as their pastor to be an Elijah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, don't be so mealy-mouthed, you know. Why are you being so nice to these people? Yeah, that's true, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Call down fire on these people, you know, like Elijah did. Uh, so, you know, you've got historical context, you've got grammatical context, or excuse me, uh, you've got literary context, and lastly, you've got grammatical context. So when we interpret, we have to bear in mind 
the language of Scripture, as with all languages, is uh, what my theology professor called univocal, you know, univocal, one voice. That is this, a word can only mean one thing in a given context. Now, that's interesting, you know, for us to think about. A word means one thing in a particular context. We think sometimes, because we don't think about it, we don't have to, we think that words get their meaning from the dictionary. Mm. No, the dictionary gets the word's meaning from usage. You used a big word, univocal. I want to use a big word now, too. Oh, yeah. I know big words, too. <laughs> but no, that that's really important because yeah. I've had that conversation with unbelievers before and mm. trying to answer questions or objections. And words do have what you are referring to, a semantic range. Mm-hmm. There's my big word, yeah, semantic yeah, yeah. range. But how do you know what meaning in that range is at play here? Context. Context. Always. Yeah. Exactly right. So because there's that range, you go to a dictionary for a particular word, dictionary meaning, it might have three possible, right. five possible, right. right? That's the semantic range. But which one is, mm-hmm. is it in this particular context? Exactly right. So we need to interpret every passage in light of its grammar. That That is placing it in what I call larger logical units. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the word, but the word doesn't stand by itself, a single word. That's in a sentence. So you want to see how that word is being used in this sentence to get the content, the grammatical yeah, context. Right, right. But you want to see how that sentence is being used in this larger unit, mm-hmm. the paragraph. Mm-hmm. And then you want to see how that paragraph is advancing the purpose of book. So you got the word, you've got the you've got the paragraph or the sentence, the paragraph, you got the book, and then you want to see how that book fits into really overall what the Bible has taught as well. I got another big word. That sounds like exegesis. <laughs> that's yeah, that's, that's yeah. the process of just I'm just joking about the big words, but <laughs> yeah. that's really just a fancy name for mm-hmm. looking at a text and drawing out its meaning yes. instead of infusing something you think it might mean or want yeah. it to mean. And to draw it out means that, you know, mm-hmm. what's the word in this sentence, this sentence, and this paragraph, right? Mm-hmm. So it leads you to a final rule uh, a text has only one meaning. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got three rules like that. A text cannot mean what it never meant. All texts are not alike. And a text has only one meaning. Listen, friends, if you will, if you will do that, yeah. <laughs> if you'll do those three things. And when I said, we don't all play by the same rules, you know, I, I encourage you to think about what we've just laid out there. Is that something we made up or is that something that really is inherent in communication? And if it is, then we need to apply that as consistently as possible mm-hmm. to our interpretation of the Bible. Well, and then one, one caveat on that last rule you gave, because yeah. some of you are sharp think quick, you might have thought of this. You know, there's, there is an intended way for an author to give more than one meaning, mm-hmm, you know, and mm-hmm, so, but mm-hmm. that is a normal interpretation would identify that by the genre and the way the author's using it. Right. So sometimes an author might say something tongue in cheek uh-huh. or double entendre. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And the context will tell you that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, this is very helpful yeah. and we'll continue this next week talking specifically about how we go about this process. Okay. But uh, are there any resources you recommend we can link to below the video you know, for folks? You know, one that is, uh, I think, fairly easy to read for those who are somewhat initiated and want to know about it is, uh, is Fee and Stewart, Fee, F-E-E, and Stewart, mm-hmm. uh, Gordon Fee and Donald Stewart. And they have a book called How to Read the Bible for All It's mm-hmm. Worth. How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. I think we have it in our we resource do. center. Yeah. Yeah. Great. We'll put, we'll put a link to that. If you're not part of our church and can't get to the resource center, you can order it. But uh, we have it stop by Sunday in the resource center to pick it up. We hope you found this helpful, and uh, we look forward to continuing next week 
And I'll remind you as I do each week, if you don't already, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hit that notification bell so that you know when new episodes come out. We try to produce a new episode every Saturday at 2 p.m. And we look forward to seeing you in the next one. If you have a question you'd like us to consider, you can send that into our email address, info at cbctrenton.com, or text it to us at 97000.